Welcome to Creativity, the podcast where art and engineering collide. Today, we have a very special guest named Wes Fowler, the CEO of Miles Space. Um, Wes, can you introduce yourself a little bit? Hey, Jeremy. Uh, Wes Fowler here. Pleasure to meet you. Yep, I uh, co-founded a little company called Miles Space down in uh, southern Tampa near the airport. And I have a, I have a background uh, classically trained as a manufacturing engineer. And then spent a lot of time slinging bits and bytes for dollars as a software engineer, and then later turned rocket scientist and RF engineer. Wow, that's that's really great. Now you went to, um, let me think, uh, GMI, right? Kettering. Yeah, GMI, Kettering. now called Kettering University in okay. Flint, Michigan. Yeah, I think it's been, like education. It's been Kettering for uh, quite a while, I guess. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so you went, you went there and you worked for, I guess, probably not GM, but one of the top three Dow Corning Corporation. Oh, Corning. I, for some reason, I thought you worked in automotive, but I guess you no, just... No, um, I did a few stints um, at Ford down at the Rouge plant, babysitting robots for a, few, for a couple of weeks, which was a really nice gig. Uh, they had quite an impressive line. But uh, yeah, my co-oping was with Dow Corning Corporation. Not Corning Glass, not Dow Chemical, Dow Corning out of uh, Midland. And yeah, a couple of facilities in Midland, Michigan. And then also down in Kentucky. Okay, and so I guess during this time, I mean, you worked for a make manufacturing for what twenty years, maybe a little bit more than that. Is that is that right? Yeah. Um, so right after right after college, you know, of course, I graduated with a manufacturing systems engineering degree. So real systems, high level view of the world. Um, probably would have been in minor in AI based on the number of classes I took in it, but it wasn't really technically offered at the time. And uh, I'm glad it is these days. Lots of opportunities there. And then was fascinated with software control and manufacturing. So spent a very long time as a uh, software consultant writing custom software um, for a lot of manufacturing companies. So applying my engineering through software and uh, all sorts of manufacturing situations for oh wow, so so that's Forever. so that's interesting. I guess I guess when you when you say your degree, I would have almost thought you were more of an industrial engineer by training, but you were more on the, I guess the control side. Is that is that that's correct? where my interest was? The uh, the the training had industrial engineering. You know, uh, you know the right way to sit, the right way to light a workstation, keep people comfortable and productive. Sure, I'll uh, just that, go ahead and that, scoot up now, so you don't disapprove of my. Uh, yeah, my OSHA posture. wouldn't approve of that slouch. That wouldn't <laughs> that wouldn't pass muster, man. Um, yeah, but there was a, a lot of hands-on experiments with materials, a lot of material knowledge, a lot of material science, and uh, I just got fascinated with the uh, how things run, the software that operates things. That is where I told you decided to take it. So I guess that's a lot of background, but you know, during this time, I mean, you're interest, you always had interest in spacecraft and space travel of, of some sort, correct? Who doesn't? Right. So yes, but yeah, that's, that's a safe thing on anyone on this podcast, right? Oh, absolutely. But I mean, unlike, I guess unlike most people, you actually pursued, pursued it in your spare time, right? You had a, I think you told me one time you had a, um, and I know it was from Tampa Hackerspace, but I think you told me one time that you ran basically like an AI simulation in your apartment, I think, for yeah. a long time. We've had too many beers together, and now you're using it against me. <laughs> I, back, uh, back probably, I don't know, 03, 04, back in the aughts, 
I decided I ought to do something about the uh, bald spot emerging. And, uh, and I said, well, I'm going to try to get back to some of the science I really liked back in high school. Had great physics teachers, had great, really inspiring science teachers in general. And um, I decided to get back into uh, simulation code, you know, plasma simulations, particle accelerator simulations. Always fascinated with the belief that you could simulate something, find the right thing, and then build it, and it would work like you simulated it. It doesn't really work that way, but that was fascinating at the time. Sure, at least it gives you a place to start. But, but basically, you you designed you designed a thruster at the time, was or did that yeah. come a little bit later? That came that came a little later. I was just looking for a general particle accelerator at the time. Oh, and, so so uh, something something simple like that, of course, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, just a little tabletop thing just to play around with, with 300 to 400,000 volt electrons. That's where time dilation starts to matter for electrons. Hmm. And uh, that, that, of course, fascinated me. I never quite got to those experiments. That's when the thruster bug hit. And I, that's where I've been. I might go back to those electron experiments someday. Well, the electron experiments, what was the purpose in that when you were doing these or, or simulating it at least? What is, what is I that? Wanted for... under, I wanted to understand. You know, you always hear these summary articles. Einstein said this. Einstein said that. Time dilation this. Time dilation that. I wanted to be able to put as close to hands-on to something like that as you could. Understanding what does that really mean in the lab? An electron experiencing time dilation effects shows somehow differently on the on the the scope. Somehow, what so, is that? So, I wanted to know that. So what you're saying is that once you get up to 300,000 volts, which is, you know, a staggering number, uh, once you get up to that range, things actually, time actually starts to get a little bit wonky. Yeah. Is that, is that correct? My, yeah. My understanding is that's when electrons get a meaningful percentage of the speed of light and time dilation starts to affect them by a couple percent. Okay. And hmm. that's when they would start to behave differently in theory than to others. And so I just, I wanted to know what that felt like hands-on as an engineer, that engineering hands-on. What does it look like on a scope? How is it different? And in your case, you were, it was, how does it look like on a, how would it look like on a simulated scope? Is that, is that yes. a, a fair? Yeah, because I, I could barely solder at the time. It had been a long time since I'd soldered anything. And I, I figured I better just get it right uh, in the math first. And then uh, I started the least activation energy was to take 20 some years of software engineering and pour it into writing simulations. So, so you write this, wrote the simulation of basically time dilation and very high voltage electrons, correct? And then, yeah. and that was the early, early two thousands, the aughts as, as you, I guess, I guess that's the right name for it, but that's then what you ought to call it. What's yeah, what, what you want. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. So after, after you, Ought, ought to, after that, you ought to you realize you ought to be doing something a little different, and then you started simu yeah. simulating thrusters. Is that when? It, yeah. When did that come in into play? Um, as soon as I had an interesting result, I found how do I how do I check it? How do I know this is a realistic result? And has the simulator given me a right number? And I couldn't find test cases on the internet to help me double check my numbers. Uh, look, one, I guess that means there's an area of research that would be kind of cool to go into. 
But oh, yeah. two, I'm like, well, how do I check this software? I need a way to test it. We always need a way to test software. And uh, plasma simulations came up as a way of testing. So I started tossing plasma in and got the, the simulator was, was testing well with that mix of plus and minus particles that are plasma. And, and when you when you say this, it's it's all virtual. It's all in the computer, correct? All virtual, yeah, okay. yeah. So the simulator simulator was testing well against those, and that's really when the thruster bug hit me. So, well, what can we what can we do with this moving plasma? Is is thrust possible here? And ADD kicked in, and down the shiny road rabbit hole I went. Sure. So, so okay. So, let's just say you started in the simulations in early two thousands. When did you actually start? Yeah. When did you go get into thrusters? When did that sort of happen? I probably hit in about five oh five. Oh five. Okay. I probably had a couple of years of just general tinkering, realizing my soldering skills weren't up to par, and getting back into simulations. Sure. And uh, so, I started. Go ahead. So you simulate this from oh five until. That's at some point, uh, base. At yeah, some point, you go from simulating to owning your own space company. I guess that's, I guess that's very interesting to me. So, how how long were you simulating before you, I guess, started putting the simulation to, you know, into the real um, real world, so to speak? Yeah. So, I tinkered for about a year in the simulation, and I was seeing, you know, which things that should be thrust. And I thought, okay, well, I'd like to build some of these, but then, you know, friends and everything are at the back of my head saying, saying, uh, well, why not build something unique? Are you going to do a Me Too project, or are you going to do put something unique on it? And I thought, well, I'd like to do something unique. And every idea, I'm like, oh, I have this idea, patented. I have this idea, patented, 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 patented. <clears throat> so, I mean, kudos for the patent search engines for really helping focus a dream but, yeah no uh, kidding I, I can only imagine how much that would have cost you in lawyers if you didn't have uh, Google to help you oh yeah that would have been that would have been frustrating so but but see I fundamentally believe creativity needs some constraints that uh, creativity is a way of, of meeting constraints and the unbounded I don't think I do terribly well I, I need a little pressure. Don't use that against me, man. No, but no. I, I need a little. I need a little constraint to bump up against, to to push off against, to rebel against. And um, no, you know, I agree. I mean, I think that's like you know, even the title of this podcast is creativity, because I feel like you know, art, art unbounded, you know, becomes art, which is great. For, it's great in its own own way, but then you put the restrictions on it. You say, okay, we got to do this, do that, and then it becomes. Well, you know, to me, that becomes engineering. You, you take the physical, you know, your creativity, physical constraints and what you're trying to do. And it's really, really a beautiful thing, I think. And that's, oh, yeah, seems like but even even engineering needs a, needs a set of requirements. You need something to work against. And yeah. Try telling an artist or an engineer, you can do, paint or design anything you want. Go to it. <laughs> ah. Yeah, I, I've often thought, you know, if I had, you know, limitless money, um, or at least, you know, at least Jeff Bezos type money, I, I'd probably, I'd probably fire, you know, a team of engineers just to kind of make all the things that I come up with in my head that I don't have time for. Um, oh, that'd be cool. Oh, that'd be awesome. I, you know, so, you know, if somebody, somebody wants to donate. Where's the donate jar? 
yeah. Well, get, getting back to our our story, I guess. So so basically, you simulate this, simulate it, and you 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 basically come yeah. up with something that you decide I I can make this and it will be new. What was what was well, that? I, well, let me fill in a couple gaps there. So yeah, like I said, all these ideas led to patent, patent, patent. Well, these patent patent holders often they they cite work. So I started digging into the work they were citing, and I found this book from the 1950s that seemed to be the root of, of most of these. And what was interesting about it is up in the first 20 or 30 pages, they basically said, thou shalt not accelerate electrons. Hmm. I'm like, well, that's near and dear to my heart. I just got done thinking about that. Why? And what, why what's, would no- what's the name of this book? I've got to dig that up. I forgot it. Uh, that, it's on my shelf, and I can't. I can't quite see it. That's okay. We'll we'll, we'll say it's. We'll take it as a truth. I guess uh, maybe we'll put it in the show notes or something. I think it's like the physics of electric propulsion. Okay. But basically, it's, there's a set of differential equations, which are the, the really obnoxious ones that you get to mid college and realize those are the equations that actually run the world. Absolutely. And, I, I feel and, like uh, I feel like calculus one, two, and even three were kind of like. Just building up to, um, yeah, you know, They're like therapy for differential equations. <laughs> so when you get there and see the truth, you don't go insane. So the book walks through the differential equations that govern accelerating particles and does a real nice job of it. And then they, they show here's the core equation. And if you integrate this equation in order to see the way the particles really move, you, you find that there is no closed form whiteboard-friendly, blackboard-friendly, 1950s-friendly equation. They can only be solved with numbers. There is no algebra that tells you the performance. It's, it's a number-only solution. Unless, unless you only accelerate one of the particles, positive or negative, never accelerate the other. If you do that, then the system doesn't oscillate and because it doesn't oscillate, it has an asymptotic um, closed-form solution. So if you make that assumption, only accelerate one, don't accelerate the other, then you can substitute algebra in and say, on average, it'll tend to be blah. And now here's, now you can integrate that and end up with this closed-form solution. It's only valid. You do not accelerate the other species. You can accelerate electrons, not ions, vice versa. Okay. So otherwise, you end up with a time-dependent so- solution, one that oscillates in time, where sometimes one little burst of particles is being accelerated a little more than the other, and they backtrack, they backflow, they ebb, they flow, they make vortices, all the things like a flowing river would do. It's kind of messy. Technically predictable, but really messy. Nothing you could give on a quiz. On a, on a whiteboard or at a graduate level quiz. So okay, so so you you come to this conclusion that you can accelerate one electron at a time to to do something. Yeah, only one species at a time. One species. Said, so you could said, you could okay. you could accelerate many electrons, just not an ion as well. Right. Okay. So I said I said all right. So that's the guidance that all of these patented devices have followed. That 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 is passed down through generations as as God's own knowledge about here is the algebraic equation for how a thruster performs, period. End of question. And in reality, it's based on these assumptions about only accelerating one species. So 
I said, well, I've got a simulator that's doing well. What would happen if I broke that rule? I'm not limited by the whiteboard or blackboard of the 1950s. I have a mega supercomputer sitting here under the desk playing video games. <laughs> what would happen? What would happen if we accelerated both? And I started scratching my head and said, you know, I, I don't know of a good design for that. So I pulled back out again 20-some years of software engineering. But let's write an AI that would help me find a design that would kind of work in the, under this new new rule. And, and what, what year is this, roughly? Is this 2010, maybe? That's probably 05. Oh, okay. Still probably okay. 05. 05, okay. Yeah. So I had been getting into uh, genetic programming, Cartesian genetic programming, which I got interested in because of the uh, Google Lunar X Prize and some support work around there. So I could be off in the years. Somebody might fact check the years there. It could be off in that. It was somewhere around when that happened. So maybe that was 07 by then. I'm not sure. Okay. But, you know, if it, right. somewhere between 10 and 15 years ago, I guess, is what yeah. Yeah. you're saying. So I started to use that genetic programming as a way of coming up with physical designs. And those designs would get plugged into the simulator and it would tell me, it would tell me whether, whether it generated thrust or not. Every couple of days, the simulator would, uh, would hand me back a few results and I would tell it which ones I liked and which ones I didn't. And it would um, keep tweaking the ones I liked and ignore the ones I didn't. Somewhere in there, I learned, uh, GPU programming for CUDA GPU coding that made the simulator 20 sometimes faster. So I could get, re I could get more results every day, start to plug away at that. And it took about two years worth of that dance between the AI and me. AI would suggest something. I would say, I like it. And then I would sometimes let it run for a couple of days while I went and independently coded whole new ideas on different design families. Um, I'd like to say the AI designed it, but the AI inspired it. It was the muse. So, so when you say this, you're you're still trying to figure out the theory, not the actual thruster that you eventually designed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so two yeah. two years of this, and then you get the, I guess, the theory behind this new, I guess. Yeah. Constant. I've got, I've got I've got a gizmo that looks like it can be made. You know, that's that's about the right size, can be made. Sure, looks like it would generate thrust. And I said, all right, I want to make that. So, so you've, you've that, figured out the science at this point, or in theory, but now you need to do yeah. the engineering to actually get the get the yeah. thruster so it'll work. That's And I was living in uh, Dearborn, Michigan at the time. So Southeast Michigan, fantastic hummus. I miss the hummus. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's lunchtime, Jeremy. Oh, that's okay. Uh, and a uh, tech shop opened up a half mile down the road. Which is like the, I guess uh, you could say a membership-based makerspace before there really were makerspaces, right? Yeah, yep. There was I3 Detroit and Tech Shop. Both opened up right about the same time. I joined both. And I3 Detroit was cool, but I couldn't figure it out socially. I just, I, I could not figure it out socially. That's on me. I'd always find about out about projects after they were happening, after they'd been signed and sealed. And... Um, the tech shop was walking distance. I could just walk down the street. Oh, and nice. So I started, I started to get educated because I realized when I, I tried to make some stuff in the basement that I had not spent those 10,000 hours on ref refining things with my hands. I did not have good workmanship on vacuum seals 
for uh, for um, soldering. I didn't have the workmanship I thought I had on there, and it wasn't up to snuff. High voltage, little little Dairy Queen cues. You leave them on your solder. They aren't cute. They spark <laughs> when they're high voltage. You know, so the, yeah, if you pull the soldering iron away and it's not quite hot enough and it leaves a little point, it's not good for high voltage soldering. I had to level up my skills. That that took a while. I, I worked on that for I worked on that for quite a while. Ended up moving down to Florida, down to Tampa during that process. And this and, is when you were actually trying to build <clears throat> the thruster that you would eventually eventually yeah, use for your yep. stuff. Yep. Knowing that I needed some pressure, I noticed a company called Inner Orbital Systems was offering a small satellite launch. They had a kit for building a small satellite and you know, a launch for it. So I took some money I had saved for a, for a car and bought that. There's a, a metronome, a clock, a timer that I can't control. And the idea is to use that satellite to test the thruster. And this is like an earthbound. So basically, you put the thruster in this. Is it a, f a fake satellite or is it actually something ready to go it's into supposed, space? It's supposed to be a real satellite ready to go into space. They haven't gotten there yet. Turns out launching is really hard. But I'm incredibly grateful they had that program when they did because it uh, it was the motivation I needed to put a, to accelerate the uh, my own learning pace and stop fiddling around and get more serious about it. What, what, well, this kit, did it come with a uh, actual like launch timeline or was it? They had, they had a launch timeline. It slipped, of course. Okay. But uh, was this part yeah. of the Cube Quest challenge, or was this something unrelated? Long before that. Long before that. Unrelated. But I wanted to put my sad my thruster in that satellite. So I thought, okay, I've got probably a two year deadline for that. So I need to need to produce a thruster, learn the skills for a satellite, etc. And I ended up going to a mini maker fair down here in Tampa. And showing off the satellite, I'd showed it at a Detroit Maker Fair. So I showed that off at uh, Tampa Maker Fair. And that's when all the people around around us at the end of that mini said, hey, there ought to be a maker space in Tampa. And uh, thank God some people stepped up and uh, took care of that. And I ended up joining. They founded the Tampa Hacker Space. I ended up joining there. And that's really when my, my skills started to pick up. And more importantly, that's when it started to make really good friends of like-minded uh, um, creative explorers. Sure, sure. And so after you, you know, whatever, joined Tampa Hackerspace, <clears throat> met the right people, then is that when the Cube Quest challenge, is that when that yeah, went onto the yeah. scene? Okay. So, and this... So by, by then, by then I had, I'd had a, a small vacuum chamber in my home apartment, my apartment second bedroom, <laughs> and had built a little, uh, a little thrust stand in there. So some um, some real sensitive sensors that as you flex them, so the thruster would push down and flex the sensor. And so I leveled up on my op amps and my data logging and Arduinos to control everything embedded within the vacuum chamber. And I'd, I'd had some thrust. I had some thrust, I had some plumes, used the laser cutter at the hackerspace to make some first first thrusters out of layers of acrylic. So I had a, had a fair amount of success there and was convinced, quote unquote, short road from here. <laughs> but and what year was what year was that 13 or 14 at that point okay and so you've got the, you've got the thruster somewhat going you've got you've got something that i guess works yeah. at least has, has been tested and then the what the cube quest cube cube quest challenge comes up correct is that yeah okay yeah. and this this is yeah. i guess for those that aren't familiar you're actually 
the idea is to actually launch these um, serial serial box size satellites into space, correct? And then you're yeah. you're making them loop around the moon and then go past Mars. Is that kind of the the, the short story? Yep, that we've had to we've had to change the Mars plan, but yes, that was the story at one point. Okay, but but anyway, so this this comes up. You, you you realize you can get on you know in theory get in on the cube quest challenge to actually put your put your satellite into space and and this is with your 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 thruster which is what it would fit in the fit in the palm of your hand correct i mean it's yes. it's a tiny yeah. but Very it's tiny it's it, low thrust but it's more thrust than usual for something that size yeah i was going over uh, some of my i guess i interviewed you a long time ago and it was what 5000 meters per second change in velocity over you know, just total, which is yeah, uh, which is which is quite high for a thruster that size. For a thruster the size of, uh, I guess a it's tennis ball, your fist. a fist. Okay, about the size of your fist. Okay, it's about one Rubik's cube, ten by ten by ten, <laughs> and that's that's all the fuel and everything. That's all the, f that's, I mean, just the scale of that. Besides being in space, is pretty, pretty amazing. You test this out. You get on on the Cube Quest challenge, and then you're at this point you're competing against university teams for an actual seat on the um sls is that right yep sls now the artemis one mission okay like my college it's been rebranded <laughs> so it's the same thing just different uh yeah. different name oh different branding okay i like the artemis name better actually it's catchier yeah it sounds sounds nice so yeah the uh the motivation for cube quest challenge was i went out to uh san francisco and saw their conference the kickoff and they were very clear. They were looking for wild ideas. They wanted to see the craziest ideas that people come up with because they wanted, they wanted a wide range of ideas and to understand how different from the NASA way can you be and still have a successful design and launch program. So when you think about it from their standpoint, from NASA's view of creativity, they were looking to challenge their status quo and say, let's see if people will show us other ways of doing this and, and help us know what what bounds can we stretch. Well, and the fact that your thruster is based on, basically everything else is based on a different um, paradigm, but you, you've actually gone back to the, I guess the scientific roots, you know, even beyond yeah. what everybody takes as, as the absolute truth and come up with something different, right? Yeah. So, and yeah. this is called your Same. constant Q thruster, is that is that right? Yes, it is. Okay, and that's Q is yeah, uh, because... charge, constant charge maybe? Yes, man, you have a great memory, Jeremy. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I guess I uh, mean not to drink heavily with you. Very good memory. <laughs> yeah, I'll... but yeah, Q Q is charge, and so in addition to accelerating one part of one t accelerating both types of particles, positive and negative, the other thing we do is rather than hold a constant voltage on the output acceleration which is what most do. Most say put like say a thousand volts or 500 volts on their output. And they, they hold that voltage constant rather than hold that constant voltage. We hold a constant charge on our output. When, uh, if you think back physics way back when, when, uh, two charges, the voltage between them depends on their distance. So the closer they are, the higher the voltage, the farther they are, the lower the voltage. Okay. It seems like, so I guess I'm just thinking of that distance. in the context of a capacitor. I guess that's yeah, that's not quite. So it okay, it depends on distance. So if one of them is fixed because it's on your it's on your device, and then the other one is moving, it's your exhaust plume, and it moves from inside 
the, the thruster, and then it moves out to right parallel with the, the exit voltage, exit plate, and then it moves away. The voltage between that charged particle and the exit plate is changing constantly as it moves. So the only way your, your power supply can maintain a constant voltage on the output plate is if it is taking away and adding charge to the output plate dynamically as those little as accelerated particles pass it. So the power supply is dealing with lots of current coming in and out of it constantly. That's the challenge of those kind of supplies. The current is slowing both ways constantly. Small little nudges constantly both ways is what's the wear and tear on those supplies. So for me, I built a supply that puts a constant charge on the output plate and lets the voltage differ as a particle passes. This means the power supply is simpler to build and um, smaller. Okay. Cheaper. <clears throat> so I guess cheaper. <laughs> big, big, very important on uh, the maker budget. Cheaper. I guess for those on a, um, I guess to look at it very, very broadly. I mean, your thruster is. You could almost say it's a very carefully controlled capacitor. Is that is that uh, accurate or is sure. that not? It's a very carefully controlled failing capacitor. Okay. Because we we charge we charge it up. And then we let it fail. That's where the where all the smoke comes out. Okay. And then it stops. It actually rides an unsteady operating cycle. Again, remember that time-dependent differential equation. So it actually charges up, and then then there's a big outrush of particles, outrush of negative, and then an outrush of positive, and then there's a reset period, and that happens about 440 times a second. Okay. What we see. So, so this this thruster forms the uh, basically the the core of your technology for this this CubeQuest challenge, correct? Yeah. Okay. That's what we wanted to demo. So, yep. so you you basically end up competing against all these university teams. I think you took first place in the first tournament and fifth place in the second tournament, and that was that was a while ago. Is that is that right? I like your memory for the first tournament, but your memory for the second one is too good and oh. very right okay. very right <laughs> well no, no so you know no, you're so. giving me a lot of credit here i did a little research and i've got a you know a little few notes with me so you know <laughs> you know i figured that but i didn't want to call you out on it you had to own that yourself yeah well so, yeah so so what happened what happened is uh all all these dream had been built up for a long time you know i've been i've been working on a potential satellite for years along with Don Smith, co-founder of uh, the team. And also he had been working with me. He's co-inventor on the patents. He was my sounding board. You know, we worked a lot through that. And we had been working on this little satellite for a long time before CubeQuest. So when CubeQuest came around, we had a, a pretty mature vision of what we wanted to do. So we just moved everything over to there. And we got... We got joined by a lot of very gung ho people, and we came out we came out with a strong, I think, pretty well apparently well expressed vision for what we wanted. Dream, very dreamy at the time. First first ground tournament is all about just write up your dream, and can you can you hold a sentence as you're as you're excitedly writing it down? <laughs> and we we came out of the gate well organized, and I think that's why we got first in that that first round. Nice. And we were we were competing against the likes of MIT, um, a, a corporate uh, corporation over here in uh, Florida, over in um, Cocoa Beach, Florida as well. We had a very strong showing. Um, a lot of university teams 
there weren't many of us corporations in that. And and you you were you were not a company at this point. You were just some people that got together for this tournament. Yeah, we were. Yeah, we were team miles. At okay. That point. Okay. And um. Okay. So first, fifth, and then at that point, my memory slash uh, slash notes get a little bit more vague. So what? Uh, so so I, the next tournament, six months later, we got fifth place. And you know, I'll I'll be honest. We needed to get fifth place in that. Our our submission was was subpar compared to what we did before there's a second one you have to put more engineering to your dream hmm. less dream more engineering and nasa laid it out very nicely and we did just did not deliver on the, the engineering not even as well as not even on par with our competitors we were lucky to get that fifth place out of, out of how many smack. how many teams are doing this i think there were eight at the time okay so middle, middle, middle of the road, I guess, at that, at that point. Middle of the road. Okay. And, you know, I will say for our creativity, we needed that reality check. There was that high from that first place, first round. There was that high in that, uh, that belief that you've got it all figured out. And we really needed that reality check that second time around. And I'm glad we got that. Uh, wasn't glad at the time. But you know, hindsight hindsight will make a believer out of you. Sure. So, were there other tournaments after that? I I think you've got a you've got a seat on Artemis at this point in, in yeah. theory. So, were there? Yeah. Yeah. So there was a there was a, a third and a fourth tournament. So in the uh, the third tournament, we uh, we doubled down. We really realized where we had screwed up and really worked hard on the engineering and. Yikes. Stage fright. I think we got first in the third tournament again. Nice. We, we really came back, really came back aggressively. And just like the pattern, I think that cost us a little bit because in the fourth tournament, we got third and only the top three got to go on Artemis. But we got it. We got it. And I, I'm really, really proud of uh, my friends for that. Oh, yeah, that's um, great. We proud of yourself, I'm sure, too. A little bit, at least, right? I, I experience a more relief than I feel pride. <laughs> and, but I, I'm seeing a therapist about that, so I'd like to see it the other way around. But I do <laughs> feel pride in my friends. I've watched them level up. And uh, I can't think of a more apt phrase for the process. So that's cool. But this has been a, I, I guess the interesting thing about, you know, just looking at this, hearing about you, interviewing you is, you know, this has been a like a 20-year not quite a 20 year, almost a 20 year long process to get to the point where, yeah. you, you know, and you're, you're still, you're still waiting for the Artemis to, to take your satellite up, even though you're, yeah, I guess you're ready to go. As ready as a table full of parts that have to be vibe tested in the next two weeks can be, but yes. <laughs> and let's go with ready and bunny quotes. And how is, um, how frustrating is that to, to have to wait around for, I guess, even though like you're right, it seems like you've been right there for years, but I'm sure that's got to be a little frustrating. You know, it's frustrating sometimes. And then I look back at it because like you said, it's been a long process and it could have gone faster. if I could have found a way to work on this full time. These are, these are hobby hours. These are hobby hours. I'm still, still got to earn a paycheck, the classic banner. Well, so so you're the CEO of uh, Milo Space, but so you have a. I didn't realize you have another job as well. Um, no, not right now. Oh, okay. Not right now. 
and, so, and you're able to do podcasts apparently too. So, you know. <laughs> so somewhere along the line, Team Miles, we actually came up with a another patent to improve the thruster. So that was our second thruster patent, and we also came up with a patent for communication technique technique a satellite satellite ground station. Okay, and. <clears throat> That was born out of the idea of uh, we have to talk to the satellite for CubeQuest. So how the heck are we going to do that when we started to call around and saw the prices? said, it might be easier to invent one of our own because there's no way we can afford this. How much is uh, how much is it to talk to a satellite if I wanted to call whoever? I wouldn't even know. You know, it, it's actually changed a lot. Uh, these days, we have a strong partnership with Atlas Space. And so I would say talk to them, and they can set you up at a at a much much better price. We were looking at uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars for the for the mission. Sure, which I guess you probably and, don't have uh, lying around, or may, maybe you do. Uh, and if if so, no, congratulations. No. I I have not yet figured out the that side of the that side of the world. So my my hundreds of thousands have been poured into uh, thruster development. Okay, so so the um, I, I guess is that what pays the bills for you guys now? I think there was some prize money involved in the CubeQuest challenge as well, if yep. I'm not mistaken. Yep, we won a total of a hundred thousand dollars in the CubeQuest challenge, and that all went towards building the satellite. No, nobody on the team gets paid for that, according to our teaming agreement. Wow, that's By a... the way, ha have a teaming agreement. Not <laughs> yeah. too hard. Have one. Good, good advice, I guess. Yes. Yeah, so, so you guys basically have, I guess the, the uh, communications is kind of paying the bills for you guys now. Or... Yeah. Yeah, actually. So we founded Miles Space, so we would have a company to to sell these patents, commercialize the intellectual property the team Miles had created, and that uh, that communication system that was uh, that was our first one, and we actually we actually got the attention of Atlas Space with that. And we've had a, a several-year partnership with them, and we're uh, wrapping up actually a project with the Air Force, working under Atlas. Oh, nice! Right now, uh, very successful. I can't I can't leak all the details there, but uh, <laughs> vindication, validation, all capital letters are great words for this week, as we had some amazing amazing test results come in. Well, yeah, I saw you um, saw you driving around in a Bugatti the other day. You know, we're pretty local ah. to you, so I guess. Uh... You know, oh, then there's a doppelganger out there. <laughs> uh, you know, I well, I'll, I did see a um, what was it? Uh, I can't even remember the name of the car, but it was a very expensive car with somebody that looked like um, I'll have to cut this because <laughs> I probably Johnny won't cut Depp. it. <laughs> they look like Johnny Depp. No, who's who's like the most famous baseball player that were just retired? Was married to Madonna, I think. Uh, Sport ball? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I, I saw somebody who looked like him driving around in a expensive car the other day, and I was like, with that and New York New York Yankees tag on it too, which I thought was quite a strange coincidence. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Florida, everybody everybody comes down here. This is where this is paradise. This is where people save all year to come down to. It's not a surprise. Yeah, it's it's a it's a strange thing growing up here because it's not you don't quite realize how uh, desirable. <laughs> It is in some ways, and it it is a nice place. I mean, you know, I wear sandals pretty much all year, 
Um, so, so do you think, do you think Florida has this area of Florida, especially the nature coast, do you think it encourages creativity, especially engineering and technical creativity? Does something about this area drive that? Because I have never felt this um, connected to creativity and expression as I have here in this, this social ecosystem. Mm. So what do you think it is? I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to say. It's, um, you know, I lived, I honestly, I lived in South Carolina for most of my adult life and I'd say I was pretty, pretty creative there as well. Um, you know, I, I did grow up here, grow up here. So maybe, maybe it's just so hot that you've got to figure out how to get out of, <laughs> out of the sun. I mean, I, I did a, um, I did a paper on something one time that was, um, you know, basically it was like the history of air conditioning or something like that. And, you know, you see that Florida's population really explodes right after air conditioning was invented. So I guess people had to be, you know, to live here, you've got to be creative or, which I think can um, maybe have some negative okay. consequences too. I, I think, you know, obviously you've heard the legend of Florida, Florida man. And I think, uh, I think there's some truth to that. There's a little creativity to Florida man. I'll give you that. Little creativity, little little misguided creativity sometimes. Um, it's true. It's true. The Darwin Awards thank Florida man for the contributions. Yeah, but anyway, I, I guess I guess getting back to your to your story about all this, I guess basically you guys went from a team, you had a team agreement, and then you guys formed an actual company to yep. you know I guess deal with deal with the money and, and such. Um, I guess one question I had just thinking about this, you know, what you do probably, and what you guys established, probably some people would think it was a little bit crazy. I mean, definitely create creative and probably a little bit crazy. Even I I guess what, what advice would you have to somebody who wants to do something that somebody's never even thought of? I I feel like that can be such an amazing thing, but it's kind of hard to get there, I guess, especially at first. And, And you're kind of to the point where. Like you said, you're somewhat somewhat vindicated at this point. What would you say to somebody, somebody like you, ten years ago, who's who's fooling around in his, his uh, extra bedroom with, with you know AI and thruster ideas and yada 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 or whatever <laughs> yeah. else this person's come up with? I'll tell you this, some of the stuff I wish I would have heard. How about that? Okay. Okay. Is uh, face your anxieties, and and because doing so, you will go faster. What what does yeah. that mean for you? You mean, what what um, do you mean? You know, a little self doubt will hold you back. It'll cost you a few months, month here, month there. You know, and in hobby time, you don't notice it, but it, it slows you down. You know, I would like to be have been here five years ago, not today. Right. Well, you know? I, I guess what's slowing you down is the rocket launch at this point, not so much your your technology. Right. Yeah. Yeah mostly but but uh i've seen people who have mastered the people side of things and they generate more opportunities than i've been able to generate and so my advice would be get past of your your technical anxieties embrace the people side of this and uh get more people involved share your dream don't just share your engineering share your dream so, so do you think you think people protect their ideas too much to begin with, or you think, or you think? Yeah, uh, yeah, we we definitely did. We definitely played the you know the my precious kind of game quite a lot. 
and you know held things really close. But the reality is there is an enormous investment required to execute on an idea. You could you could share the location of the of, of the world's biggest gold nugget. And most people would not do anything with that information because the execution is daunting. Right. Yeah, that's an but, interesting interesting way to put it. And and I mean you're right. If I mean if somebody told me, okay, there's a you know, gigantic gold nugget located in Colorado, it's a hundred feet below the ground, you know, it's like, well, okay, am I gonna somehow take it alone or come up with you know, I don't know what it would cost right. to dig that, but you know, probably a hundred, couple hundred thousand, you know, just execute on that. That's very few right. people have the, I guess, I guess mental wherewithal. I guess that's the best way exactly. to put it. Exactly. And the other thing I would say is don't overthink it. Is get started. A little willful naivete will get you committed. And once you're committed, then that becomes the pressure you need to overcome the obstacles. Okay. As opposed to just saying, ah, well, I guess I'll wait till this obstacle clears itself and costing more time. Right, right. Got to get that, that, that personal commitment. And naivety is a great way to get yourself locked in. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess at this point you guys are, and I know you got to go pretty soon, but I guess I guess at this point you guys are, are waiting for the for the rocket launch to take your satellite up yes. and then then you'll, I guess, be in space, and that's that's pretty amazing. Um, so that is incredible. We have a we have some other opportunities to get the thruster up there even before that. Oh, really? Like yep. on a, a Falcon or something, or is that um, another NASA group is interested in flying the thruster sooner than later? Okay, and that's and not not on the CubeSat. It's actually just independent of that. It's another independent, independent, oh. yeah. And that'll be your your technology. That's. That's got to yeah. feel so, I mean, I guess it's not there yet, but I guess you're just on the cusp of something really, really amazing, right? It, it, it feels good. It does feel good. It, it, it would be incredible to see it up there. That's just, awesome. Just getting to talk with the caliber of these people. I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm leveling up just in vocabulary. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe you are that caliber of person at this point. You know, I think maybe, you know, it's... Uh, uh, Nah, I still got goals. I'm working on it. Yeah. Thank you, though. Well, it's it's just amazing. I'm you know I'm so so glad you were able to come on and talk for a while. Thanks for having me on, Jeremy. Um, it's been very nice to see you. Chat yeah. with you again. Yeah, you too. And I guess I guess if you were to leave people with something, I guess if you have a crazy dream, whether it's to go to space, you know, get your stuff in space, or do whatever, it's just I guess you'd say get the right people involved, get started, don't doubt yourself too much, and just do it. Right? Is that <laughs> Be passionate about your dream. Share your passion. Invite people to your dream. Let them go when they want to walk away. That's okay. And just keep moving forward with it. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I guess uh, I'm sure we could talk all day, but I know you've got a, a business meeting at two because they're at, at some time. So um, yeah. that's what you've got to do as CEO, right? So <laughs> That's the job. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Wes. Uh, you know, all the best with... Uh, with uh, Miles Space, and we'll uh, I'll talk to you later. I'm sure. Thank you, Jeremy. Take care. <laughs> Hi, Jeremy Cook here. And as we touched on just a little bit in the podcast, Wes had to go pretty fast because he had uh, a business, some, something to present for his uh, actual business. So, anyway, we're doing our, our coffee break after the show today. So, let me just give a shout out to our top five Patreons. That's Brian Moses, 
Pat Regan, Positive Waves, Old School, School DIY, that's at GFC62, and Stephen Booker. Thanks so much for helping the show, helping me make, make the show, and it's uh, really, really means a lot that you, you choose to support it. That's really great. If you want to be a top five Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash Podcast. Again, that's patreon.com slash Podcast. Uh, we have sponsorship levels levels as low as $1, but if you're in the top five, I'll give a shout out to you. That can be your name, a business name, anything like that. It could be actually a pretty cheap advertisement at this point. So anyway, uh, thanks so much for watching. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day and hopefully we'll have a good episode coming up soon. So thanks a lot and I will see you later. <laughs>